Holy darkness, blessed night, heavens answer hidden from our sight. As we await you, O God of silence, we embrace your holy night. In the deepest hour of your darkness, I will give you wealth untold. As the silence stills your spirit, will my riches there unfold. Holy darkness, blessed night, heavens answer hidden from our sight. As we await you, O God of silence, we embrace your holy night. Jesus said, one cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless one is born again. The invitation this morning is to enter into the darkness of God's womb, that we might be born again by water and the Spirit. Being born again is not a one-and-done thing. It's something that needs to happen again and again and again as we surrender into the darkness of the mystery of the God who will not be contained by our limited understanding who refuses to be boxed in to the categories that we dissect and place God in so that we can control God's otherness. The invitation is to allow ourselves to be born again and again and again, to learn to daily live and move and have our being in the God who alone can give us life who created us and breathed into the dust of the earth the breath of life, that we might be human beings made in the image of God, reflecting the nature of God, who is love in relationship in all that we do. The invitation this morning is to rebirth. Let's pray. Those of us in the church think we've got you all figured out. We've put you in boxes that we can safely contain you in. That enable those outside our parking lot to spew hate because they know who you are. God, we confess that sometimes we've done the same thing toward those we other, and we need to be reborn. So God, would you help us this morning trust you enough to enter into the darkness of what we don't know and cannot know 
so that we might encounter you as you are and see one another as you see us and come forth shining with your light for the sake of all of your children in the earth. We need a word from you this morning. So we ask you to speak to us from the cloud and the thick darkness that we might see your face and come forth reborn and go forth in the power of your spirit to love even those who hate us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to preach the sermon I thought I was going to preach, um, or the one I wrote Thursday, although I'm going to give it to you in a mini form because I think we know it and we just need to be reminded of it. Nicodemus, the story of Nicodemus can be read on multiple levels. That's the wonder thing about scripture. It's full of God in so many ways. Nicodemus is criticized for coming under the cover of night because he's afraid, maybe. But he has good cause to be afraid. He's a Pharisee, a member of the religious community who gave him his credentials. And if he came out as following this Messiah who is incompatible with the faith community's understanding of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would look like and what the Messiah could and couldn't do, he would probably have his credentials taken. So he comes in the only way he can. As a reminder to us, as those outside our doors are reminding us that it's still not safe for the LGBTQ community to come out in the world and in the church. And so again, as a person ordained with credentials in the United Methodist Church, I want to ask your forgiveness, that the United Methodist Church, our bishop and our cabinet, yes, I'm calling them out, have not spoken into this issue in a way that the kind of hate that is going on outside our door in the name of Jesus is stopped. You don't get to have it both ways. When you refuse to speak, you speak, and you allow this kind of thing to happen, and it's harming people at the soul level. We're not the only ones. The immigrant community needs a safe place to come out into the light. They're not criminals. The refugee community needs a safe place to come out in the light. They're not criminals. So many others need a safe place, and we know that. And the church should be that place, and in many ways we are failing that. And we were going to talk about that, and so we just did. And it's important. But you know that. We're living it this very morning. And so what is the work that we need to do so that we continue in our witness, so that we learn how to create safe places for all of God's children, including those that we other? And I believe the story of Nicodemus is a story for us that will teach us about that. Nicodemus comes in the night 
ask questions of Jesus, questions he doesn't know the answers to. And Jesus tells him that we have to be born again, and Nicodemus doesn't understand that and admits he doesn't understand that. And all the commentaries criticize Nicodemus for failing to understand. I think he gets a bad rap unfairly. I was trained at Princeton Seminary. I've studied with scholars at Duke Divinity School and helped start the Center for Reconciliation. I graduated from Perkins School of Theology. I'm a graduate of the Shalom Institute and the two-year academy for spiritual formation, and I don't understand how to be born again. I think Nicodemus should be applauded for admitting he doesn't understand that it doesn't fit with any of the categories that we want to put God into. That he had the wisdom and humility to say, I, I don't get it. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means he's a devout man. He's been trained in all the biblical languages. He has studied the tradition since he was a child. He knows how to interpret the scripture and apply them. Not only that, he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That's the highest ruling body within the religious community of Israel. He has got a pedigree like none other, far beyond the credentials and pedigrees of bishops and others who are professors of theology or who have been and who have PhDs in biblical literature and language and church history and theology. And yet he doesn't understand and he has the wisdom to say, I don't know. And that's the most faithful response he could have made. Because as we talk about being the light of God, as we talk about shining with the light of God, in order to do that, we first have to let go of what we think we know. We have to enter into the darkness of the womb and be born again to encounter the God who, yes, is closer than our own breath, who is a friend of sinners, who is our companion on the journey, but who is also holy and totally other and cannot be contained, cannot be confined by our definitions of what is compatible and not compatible, of what's acceptable and is not acceptable, and will not be defined by our limited understanding. And that means we have to enter into a space of wilderness, of darkness, of letting go of what we think we know. So I want to talk about darkness this morning as the path to light. If you read John's gospel, there is this constant interplay between light and darkness. And yes, sometimes that darkness is the same kind of thing that's going on out here, that people are doing things that cause us to have to hide in the darkness to avoid harm. But darkness is also the space where God moves in ways that are beyond our ability to control or even fathom. If you start at the very beginning of Scripture, we are told that the Spirit of God, the Ruhah, hovered in the face of the deep. That's not talking about water. Water hasn't been created yet. That's talking about the black hole, this darkness that is the mystery of God. 
And it's out of that place that God speaks life and creation into being. And God creates the night and the day and calls them both good. And as you move through the story of God's manifestation throughout the history of Israel and the church, it is in the darkest moments of the night that God appears most profoundly. Abraham receives the call to leave Ur and go to a place Abraham doesn't know in the darkest moment of the night. And on that journey again and again when Abraham gets confused and messes up, God comes to him in the darkness of the night to reveal who God is and who God has called Abram to be. Jacob wrestles with God in the dark moments of the night. And with this mysterious stranger who he cannot name or define, he receives a whole new identity and is forever changed. Moses descends up the mountain into the darkness of the cloud. And it's there in that darkness of unknowing, of letting go all of his preconceived notions that he encounters God face to face and comes down off the mountain glowing so much that they want to cover him up because they're afraid of it. The Psalms and the prophets talk about God being in the midst of thick darkness. When God decides to come and dwell among us, God comes in the darkness of Mary's womb. Is announced in the darkness of the night to shepherds who are on the hills in the darkness. Is born into a dark cave in a dark corner of the world. Jesus will repeatedly disappear into the darkness at midnight or around 4 o'clock in the morning while it's still dark to pray. Resurrection occurs in the darkness of a tomb. The women come while it's still dark to discover that Christ is alive. Peter is rescued from the chains of imprisonment in the darkest moment of the night and taken to safety. And Saul, Saul who is just like Nicodemus, he's got the same pedigree. He's a Pharisee. He knows what the Bible says. He can quote it to you. And so he's after those folks who are going to go to hell for following that false Messiah who is incompatible with Christian teaching. He has it all figured out, and then God strikes him blind. And it's in that blindness, when he cannot see, that he receives what he calls a new revelation about who Jesus is and how wrong he was. He experiences what Jesus said over and over to his disciples Seeing, you don't see. It's a mystery that going into the darkness is the place of rebirth so that we can bear the light. And it means being willing to embrace that which we label other and which we will not embrace. Because that's where God is. In that thing we fear. 
the paradox of that is so difficult to get our words around, and it should be because God is undescribable, unfathomable, cannot be limited by our language. We can only approximate it. And so I just want to share an example of one of my rebirths. Because again, the process of sanctification, of going on to perfection, is about being reborn again and again and again until we enter more and more fully into the mystery that is God within us. 1996, my life had fallen apart for probably the third or fourth time. Some of us, it takes a long time to get it together. I'm not sure I have yet. But I found myself as the mother, a single mother of four children, the sole provider, and we didn't have a house. And I had to leave my job and was looking for a new one. I'd had to leave my faith community for the second time. Did not have a safe faith community go to, and I was deeply wounded. So I found myself in Santa Barbara, California at Casa de Maria Catholic Retreat Center for a spiritual retreat. Wasn't really sure I was there, wasn't really sure this was a good place to be. One of my friends had actually told me this might be cultic. Um, but. <laughs> I was there because I had gone over to pick up a book at the Young Center here over on Montrose and heard a woman's voice speaking in one of the conference rooms, and it was crowded, so I snuck into the back, and it was Dr. Gay Luce, and I felt drawn to her, and she was leading this retreat. And so I had gone, trusting that somehow the Spirit of God was talking to me. The only problem is I was on unfamiliar ground this was a Catholic retreat center, but it was dedicated to Mary, and you know, my Protestant upbringing wasn't going to have anything to do with that. That's changed, and that's another story I'll tell you about sometime. <laughs> and the people who were leaving the retreat, only one of them was a Christian. The rest of them, including Dr. Gay Luce, who's a Buddhist, were master teachers out of their religious tradition. I will tell you that Dr. Gay Luce became my spiritual mother and mentor and taught me more about what it means to be a Christian than almost any Christian I've ever known. But I was there, and I was trusting this gut thing in me that had called me there. And so even though I was uncertain what this might have for me, I decided to fully participate. And so in the darkest part of the night, the first night, I walked a dromedon which is a Celtic Druid version of a labyrinth, and we did it in the dark. You had to feel your way along the path in the darkness. The next night, I danced with Savanthu Somme from the Darga tribe of West Africa in a ritual drumming dancing ceremony to reclaim this female body that had suffered sexual and domestic abuse that had been taught from this fundamentalist tradition I was raised in that the body was a bad thing. It was to be denigrated. And then I whirled with Shabda Khan, who is a Sufi mystic. He taught me that if you're going to whirl like one of those whirling dervishes, you've got to let go. If you try to hold on to what you know, you'll get dizzy and fall. But if you let go and trust, you can actually spin for hours. And on this particular night, I was listening to the drumming of a Navajo medicine man. 
this beautiful drumming. He was preparing us for a sweat lodge that we would participate in the next day. I didn't know what a sweat lodge was. There were going to be two of them, one for women and one for the, just anyone who wanted to participate. I chose the one for the women because I felt like there was a deep part of my identity as a woman that had been terribly wounded that I needed to reclaim on a spiritual level. I was doing the work of therapy and taking care of medical needs. All those are important to do, but this was a wound. It was very deep. So I went to sleep at about 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, this daylight savings time kind of messes this up for me because the kahunas of Hawaii will tell you that around 4 o'clock in the morning is the darkest moment of the night. And they call it the Navaswan. And if you're out in it and you're really still, you can feel the air shift. You can hear the sounds of nature shift. The birds begin to chirp differently. Animals begin to rustle differently. And it's the shift toward the light. From that moment on, the light starts to break in. So it was about 4 o'clock in the morning when I heard a woman call my name. Diane, it startled me awake. And I saw a woman standing in my room who simply said, Diane, prepare yourself. And then she was gone. Did I make it up? Was it a vision? I didn't know, but I was awake. And I knew something had happened. Was it a dream? I wasn't going back to sleep. So I got dressed to get ready. The sweat lodge wasn't until 7 the next morning. So I made my way through the darkness to where the medicine man was building the sweat lodge. And the only thing there was the structure that he was building from saplings and a fire. And I sat in the darkness around the fire and waited. Seven o'clock, we were invited in to the sweat lodge. I and seven other women went in and sat on the dirt floor. The only thing in the sweat lodge were these rocks that had been heated all night long in that fire, and they were putting off an amazing amount of steam. It was like entering into a womb. It made you sweat, and when the door shut, it was pitch black dark. The only sound was our breathing, the occasional hiss of water that was being sprinkled on the rocks that would then pour out in the steam, and you would sweat all the more. After a while, in the silence, the woman who was leading it said, now I want to invite you to sing whatever song from your faith tradition comes to you, whatever you need to offer into this space. And the song that burst from my lips was, how great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. And somehow, in that moment, I understood that I was one of those worlds that God's hands had made. And when I think that God, God's son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden, all of this shame, all of this denigration, all this self-loathing and doubt 
He bled and died to take away my sin. And in that moment, it all fell off. It all fell off. I was reborn. And I emerged from the womb of that sweat lodge like a newborn baby, knowing who I was in God. And having experienced the gift of God from a whole host of folks who I had othered because I thought I understood how God worked and who God could work through. The invitation this morning is to rebirth, is to enter into the otherness of God that is darkness. It's darkness because it's so far beyond anything we can imagine or think. And allow God to heal what's broken in us so that we stop othering other people and actually can come forth in the light of God's grace, knowing who we are, knowing who we are to each other, being able to see one another as God sees us so that we can bring healing and life and life rather than hate and brokenness and judgment and condemnation, which has nothing to do with God and God's grace and God's love. So the invitation for Lent is to get still, to enter into what we do not know and cannot know so that God can do a new thing in us, that in our blindness God can actually give us sight. And then we can emerge glowing with the light of God and we can create safe spaces for all God's children, maybe even those outside who do not know what they are doing and who are also bound by judgment and condemnation and need the grace of God. Enter into God's holy darkness so that you and I can find light and go forth and share it with the world. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer, Amen.